Welcome to another episode of Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Deb Vanslet. And I'm Matt Goldberg. We have a story for you from way back January 2017. Theme, synchronicity. Love synchronicity as a theme. The random happenstance of life. We uh, we don't always go back into our archives, but we really wanted to find one of the early stories from our guest this week, Juliana LeVay-Trudel. Juliana is a Montreal-based author and host of her own true life storytelling show, En Fabulation, our sister show here in Montreal. Um, I remember when Juliana was just getting started on En Fabulation, we worked closely trying to sort out how you actually start um, this kind of an event um, in a culture where there is a strong storytelling tradition, but it's a little bit different. After the story, we have an interview with Juliana where we, we talk about that process, what it was like getting started, and also how her own true life stories inspire her fictional writing. Her new book, On a Toulotum, is available wherever fine books are sold. You can find links to that, to to everything we talk about in the show notes below. So let's listen to the story. Here's Juliana. I was 22. And I fell in love with this handsome, charismatic, wannabe anarchist. (laughs) Philip had traveled. He loved literature and cinema. We would watch Israeli-German movies with English subtitles and exchange books by Romain Gary and Paul Auster, all of which was my dream romance coming true. His dream was to move to Israel and live in a kibbutz. I I would have followed him without hesitation, but he didn't want to live with me in a kibbutz in Israel. Not in a four and a half in Ostaga Maisonneuve either. I fell in love with him, but he didn't fall in love with me. He said I was missing something. If anyone were to tell me now that I am missing something, I would happily tell the guy to go fuck himself. (laughs) But at the time, I spent months trying to find out what the hell I was missing so that Philip would love me. I left the country for six months, went working and traveling in Europe, and when I came back, he absolutely wanted to see me. He had some great news to share with me. And the great news turned out to be that he now had a girlfriend. (laughs) Mr. I never want to be in a couple again. And he was crazy in love with a woman. And he wanted to stay my friend. I never called him again, but fortunately or or not, we would sometimes run into each other here and there. He would tell me about his wonderful trips to Italy with his wonderful girlfriend, and I wouldn't say a thing, but in my head, I pictured myself piddling around him in a unicycle and shouting through a megaphone, leave me the fuck alone with your goddamn 
of happiness! <laughs> I eventually had to move. My landlord in Centre Sud wanted to transform my apartment into a condo. So I moved to Oslaga, Philip's neighborhood, and would sometimes nostalgically walk by his street. Remembering the good old days after I came back from South America and was so broke I could not even afford the bus, and would walk all alone in the cold winter evenings through the sketchy no man's land between the CBC Tower in my neighborhood and <laughs> Metro Prefontaine in his. But I was getting better and better. I was almost not doing it at all anymore. <laughs> After one year in my new apartment on Ellen Street, my roommate told me she was leaving Montreal, so I started looking for another roommate and sent a little ad to all my email contacts so they could spread the word, looking for a roommate to share a nice apartment on Ellen Street. Philip replied, Are you kidding me? What the fuck am I kidding you? He asked if I knew where he lived, so I said, on Desiree, right? Then he asked for my address, so I told him, 1472, and Well, it turned out that six months earlier, he had moved to 1479, Elwin, <laughs> with his, not to say, fantastic girlfriend. <laughs> right in front of my house! And he was very enthusiastic about us being neighbors. <laughs> yes! The bicycles you see down there, they are my girlfriends and my bicycles. <laughs> the recycling box down there, it's my girlfriends and my recycling box. And, and the flowers, they are our flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Not kidding. And don't tell me the curtains in the window are you and your girlfriend's curtains. And the grass? It's your grass. And the garbage. Don't tell me it's your garbage. Isn't it all so wonderful? That day, I thought life had a questionable sense of humor. <laughs> From all the possible and unimaginable places in Montreal, he had to move here. But in the end, I must admit I had a lot of fun. <laughs> Philip entertained me and my roommates quite a bit. <laughs> we started spying on him. Sven <laughs> and I were very subtle about it hiding in our mudroom in the dark and trying to see something in <laughs> Then Audrey would come in, turn on the lights, speak very loudly, and stare shamelessly at Philip's place. <laughs> we never saw anything very exciting, but we had good times keeping our eyes out for something. <laughs> we also tried to see what his girlfriend looked like, because of course I wanted to make sure I was prettier. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best we ever managed to see was her from behind. 
And it was enough to know that she was approximately five foot four with a slim build and long brown hair. <laughs> Once, we knew that Philip and his incredibly amazing girlfriend were gone. And Audrey convinced me to hang my oldest and ugliest panties on his front door. <laughs> I laughed so hard I almost cracked my ribs, but I was a chicken and went back to take it off before the royal couple came back. <laughs> we were a bit drunk. Um, <laughs> another time we were totally sober and inspired by our heroes from the Babysitter's Club, we decided to form a commando unit aimed at getting into Philip's backyard. But sadly for our preteen ambitions, this backyard was protected by a high gate and we sheepishly retreated to 1472. Another time, I was a bit more drunk. And uh, one of my friends brought me home. As he was parking right in front of Philip's car, I joked and said it would not be a problem if he bumped the car. <laughs> then my friend started trying to convince me to scratch Philip's car with my key. <laughs> oh, come on, I can't do that. Not to my dear Philip. The one I was so convinced was the man of my life. I mean, all the signs were there. <laughs> I met him at 22, same age my mother met my dad. He was 11 years older than me, almost same age difference as between my mom and dad. He was a wannabe activist, same as my dad. You know, a sign. <laughs> <laughs> but he was also the guy who told me I was missing something. That little word that would haunt the back of my mind each time I'd meet a new guy. So. <laughs> I was overexcited as I did it, and I also felt very guilty. <laughs> I had been the teacher's pet from kindergarten to university, and all of a sudden I was keying a car. <laughs> Had I become? <laughs> Next morning, I was so nervous in my bed. At every noise, I was sure that Philip was coming to my place to accuse me. But he never came to accuse me of anything. And when extremely proud, I had wanted to show this crush to my other friends. They had to bend over and stick their noses to the car to see a very, very, very tiny three millimeter long scratch. <laughs> I was never an excellent criminal. <laughs> Anyways, Philip ended up changing his car and his neighborhood. He sold his old Toyota Echo and bought a luxurious Manonk car. <laughs> he left uh, Oshlaga and moved into a beautiful apartment in front of Bobien Park with his girlfriend, their bicycles, and their recycling box. <laughs> He's still doing some armchair anarchy, but in fact, he became very respectable. And every time I meet him, he loves to talk about the substantial amount in his bank account. <laughs> I moved too. I left Ellen Street, but I stayed in Oshlaga. I'm not scared of Philip moving in front of my house because the neighborhood's not fashionable enough for him anymore. <laughs> but for me, 
It's just perfect. I like it there. And you know what? I am not missing anything. <laughs> Hi, Juliana. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's, it's been way too long. I mean, <laughs> you've been part of the Confabulation family for years now, and this is your first time on the podcast. So why don't we start with the beginning? What was your first experience with storytelling? I think it was at a Confab show of December 2016. Uh, it was my first time. I had never heard about storytelling before, never heard about confabulation. I'm a, obviously a francophone, as you can hear, and uh, it's not something I've seen on the French side. And uh, my uh, partner, who is an anglophone, told me about the show, and I didn't really understand what it was about, but he was like, Let, let's go and see a show. So we went to, I think it was the December 2016 show, and I I just fell in love. I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Like, I want to do that. I, I want to see, I want to have a show like this in French. So I was really in love. And then the next show, like, I think it was January 2017, I told a story myself <laughs> after just seeing one show. And I was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. And and when they, they said what was going to, to be the theme, I think it was uh, serendipity. I thought, oh, I I, uh, I might have a story. And then I was like, oh, no, I have a story. So now I want to tell it. And I, I don't think I'm ready for this. But then <laughs> it happened anyways. And it was it was really fun. So there's so much in there I want to unpack. Because, of course, there's your work with Enfabulation, uh, creating that scene that you want to be part of on the French side. And then there is also your experience as a storyteller, extends beyond oral tradition storytelling. Why don't we start there? Can you talk a bit about how your work as a writer differs from your work as a storyteller? Yeah, I had to learn a lot, and I was lucky I could count on people from, uh, you know, confabulation like like Nisha Coleman, who was really a mentor for me. And because when you when I, I write novels and and picture books, but let's say novels, um, like I really work on the style, and I try to have a poetic writing, and and um, you don't really write the way you talk because you want it to be like some kind of work of art and people to be enjoying the writing and everything. But when you're, you're preparing a story, uh, to me, the goal is you, you want it to sound as natural as possible. You want, um, you want people to feel like they're listening to you just telling the story in a, in a party or, but it's funny because it, it's really, there's a lot of work in it, but you want it to sound like casual and, and natural. And so it's, it's very different. And when I, it's funny because when I work with writers who come uh, for Enfabulation, often I have to, you know, tell them, I, I can see that they're writers, they're used to the, the writing process, but they, they have to, um, they have to understand that they're doing something else. Uh, so I'd say the, the thing on the style and also you want things to be pretty clear because people cannot go back a few pages to, to see, okay, who's that character or what is he doing in there so sometimes it's just the way you introduce the characters and 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 the structure um like the order of things you have you have to make sure everything is is pretty clear so everything unfolds very naturally and and people get it like people will only hear it one time so you need to be sure like 
everything is there, everything is clear. Um, so yeah, so it's different, but it's also not that different, but because it's also telling a story and I can, I can feel that the writing for, for uh, storytelling shows and writing for books, it, it helps each other and I can get something like, I think I've become better at structure and, and yeah, because of, of storytelling, because I was never uh, really good at structure, but seeing so many stories, helping so many people with their own stories, uh, you, you kind of have to learn. And then you, at some point you, you understand how it works and what a story needs. So it, it was very helpful. Well, you have your, your new book on Atulotum, um, is inspired in part, I think, by true experience and, and also fiction. Has your experience working on true life stories um, influenced this book, influenced the process and the themes of the book? Well, I think my gen maybe not this book in particular, but the general writing, because I feel I have less and less interest for fiction and more and more for nonfiction. And it's also interesting, again, uh, on the French side, it, it's really um, interesting because it, it's different. Like they, they're going to say there's going to be like novels and then essays, but we don't have this idea of fiction and fiction that you can see more in, in English literature. And it's it's really um, a popular uh, genre, like, you know, uh, uh, memoir and stuff like this. Uh, in the English literature, you find a lot of that. And, and in French, it's like this fight. Is it like anything that's like not an essay should be fiction but then we have a problem because people like a memoir is not fiction so it's it's really it's a bit annoying all those categories i really like the way you just say fiction non-fiction because it leaves more freedom and since uh, i've been working a lot on true stories i have i i just feel like they're better than anything we could invent <laughs> So I I can see in my work as a writer that I want to work more on true stuff than on fiction. Like like my my second novel was was uh, a lot of fiction, but also lot lots of of true uh, stories. And uh, I think for the next the next thing I'd like to uh, have a project that would be more like a memoir and more uh, yeah. So I think I'm uh, in general. I, I'm not sure I'm going to do uh, many more novels. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to do pure fiction. Uh, I, I really I really like the, the true stuff. <laughs> and, and let's get into that, right? You're talking about this genre definition, uh, what exists in which language. What has it been like starting up a, tr a true life storytelling show in a, where that doesn't exist, where that scene hasn't been a presence? It was quite an adventure, and I was lucky. I had people from Confabulation helping either for com like bilingual people coming from for telling stories or helping to uh, workshop the stories, because it, it's so funny. Because it, it's really simple. You, it's like you just tell a true story, but it's like for people, it's hard to imagine when they've never seen it. Uh, so it was a lot of work because I had to any. You know, I would think of someone I I, I knew. I, I thought I think, oh, that person would be good. But I would have to for each single person, I would have to explain the thing, uh, like and and so it would take like time and work, and and it would take a lot of work on the stories because people didn't really have uh, examples in mind. Uh, so it was a lot of work, and then also to convince people to come see the show because they're like. 
okay like like is it just like this random dude going up on stage and like telling a story you know they felt like this thing like a half drunk guy in a bar and I'm like no and so it was a lot of work explaining and explaining what it was but but I I see the progression and I'm really impressed by by what like what happened and now I still have to explain like many people don't don't know but I also have now many people who know the show either storytellers or people coming to see it and also we also we also run our uh, podcast uh, we record stories live and we, so I have uh, examples now I can send links and tell people like just listen to that story it's going to give you an example it's still still when you have never seen it or done it it's still there's still something like the people really need to come and see a show but at least it's nice to have examples and to have more and more people who, who, who know who knows uh, who know what it's about but it was it was a lot of work I, I remember now I see where we are and re I remember the beginning like you know very uh, like having a really hard time fighting storytellers and having you know only uh, 20 people in the audience but but it was it was hard work but it was very exciting and now I feel I have this <clears throat> unique thing on the French side because they're not there's not really anything similar and I, I I can see that people are like 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 me when I saw it for the first time people usually fall in love with the concept they're like oh my god like this is so nice <laughs> so I feel I have I feel lucky because since it didn't exist really on the French side I feel like now I have this this thing um and I'd be happy if other shows uh, French storytelling would start, but I feel like we have something very, uh, very unique. Well, you, you've done something incredible. I mean, you've trained your audience, you've trained your performers. Are, are you going into your fifth year next year? Oh, no, it's going to be seventh. Uh, we started. What? How does. Uh, because, uh, yeah, we started in 27, uh, 2017. Oh, my goodness. So if I count, I just did that thing where I'm old and time is all relative <laughs> to. I just keep cutting out the pandemic. That's what I keep doing. Um, yeah, we I still wow, count it as a season because the first year of pandemic we did the podcast for the first time, so there was okay. no live shows. But I still count it as a as a season because we had. Jillian, the this is incredible. I'm so <laughs> yeah. happy for you. And the show has really grown. I mean, you've moved from space to space around the city. Um, you've done shows out of the city as well. I have I have so many um, emails from people around around the country looking to start up storytelling shows like this. Do you have one <laughs> piece of advice for how to get a scene started? Uh, I'd say, um, yeah, you can start something very small, like like because uh, because I, I, I think if you wait for all the perfect. Uh, um, uh, conditions nothing is going to ever happen like so if you're able to start something with people you know uh, you know friends build a community I'd say because at the beginning when you really have nothing uh, you need people to help you so you need to work with you know friends people who <laughs> like you so, uh, because I don't, I don't really know how to explain that but it's the same with uh, you know I started a non-profit and, and it's just you, you kind of have if you wait for for the money to be there if you wait for 
like the resources, like it's not just going to happen. You have to kind of do something on your own then to show uh, that you've done something and then you can get some more help. So I'd say maybe just start small with, with, with people, you know, and, and, and try to build like, yeah, this community of people who, who like to be involved. Cause, um, I, I can feel it. It's it's so powerful when you have this community, and I think it's the thing you have uh, at Confabulation. You have so many people who are. Some people are very involved. Some people are more like you know somewhere there, but ready to come and do a story or help if they can. And and I think it, and it's the beauty of it because you know if you go see a play, you cannot. Be, you cannot tell yourself, oh, yeah, OK, I'm going to be on this stage like next week. I'm going to I'm going to play Shakespeare. You know, it's for trained actors and everything. But when people come to see a show and, and I really like it when it's people who were in a show and then they want to do the next show. Uh, so I think this community thing thing is important. I, and I think also because there are true stories and some stories are really um, uh, emotional and like people feel like they share uh, like something special with even with strangers. Uh, we had our last show, we had a very powerful story of a woman or husband was a policeman and died in service uh, on the uh, uh, on, not on the highway, but on the yeah, on a highway. He, he, someone didn't. Um, pull over and, and hit him uh, passing his car, his police car was stopped and he, he got hit and it was so intense and I could feel like I could feel that show was special because also a lot because of that story because after that people were like oh my god like but it, it reminds us that we're all humans and sharing uh, life experiences and, and so I think there's this extra thing that even if we, we don't know each everyone and and maybe you know they won't see ever again this lady but they just at that moment they shared her story they heard it and they they felt compassion and and so it, i think it's this little extra magical ingredient that that's on this show that is not on other shows because yeah there's so the community i think is very important I, I totally agree. We walk this fine line between I want it to be a stage for professional art, for the creation and promotion of a, of a professional artistic approach to storytelling. At the same time, we owe something to this community we're creating, giving people an opportunity to share their personal experiences. I, I love that that I, image, someone watching a play, but, okay, next week I'm, I'm jumping up on stage because <laughs> I do want that too. And I, yeah, sailing that line between those two is is such a challenge, but it's so important to keep doing this. So I'm yeah. so glad you're part of this because uh, we, we are the shows in Montreal, as far as I know, <laughs> that are dedicated to this art. And uh, uh, it, it's so much more fun to have company, to have a family <laughs> of shows doing this. Thank you so much for being here, Juliana. It's been great chatting with you. Well, thanks for having me and, and looking forward to uh, seeing more Confab shows. Juliana and thank you Matt wonderful interview oh thank you I love talking to Juliana she's the best if you haven't had a chance to check out uh, True Live Storytelling Show uh, All Fabuloso and Confabulation have events regularly we'll link to all of the upcoming events in the show notes as always check out our YouTube channel 
This one that you just heard today will not be on the YouTube channel because it's a relatively new thing that we've been videotaping the shows. If you need more stories, you can always follow our podcast, subscribe. En Fabulation has their podcast as well. We'll link to that. Join us in a couple of weeks because we'll be back with more stories. Thanks so much, everyone. Confabulation, the podcast, is produced and edited by Deb Vanslet. Special thanks to Bent by Elephants for use of their song, Can't Have You. And of course, thank you as always to our sponsors, the Canada Council for the Arts and the Conseil des Arts de Montréal. We literally couldn't do this without you. <laughs> <laughs>